hello, and welcome to the NetCentric podcast. NetCentric, a cognizant digital company. My name is Scott Mackin, and I'll be the moderator today. Today, I'm joined with Claire Thornwell, a senior web performance consultant and product manager at NetCentric. Uh, Claire, why don't, it's probably best if you maybe uh, introduce yourself rather than have me butcher my way through it. <laughs> sure. So like Scott said, I'm Claire Thornwell. I am a web performance consultant at NetCentric. So that's officially my title, but I am currently working on a product, which is why um, he also added product manager to that title. Nice. So Claire, take us back a bit. Let's let's go way, way back in the in the dark doldrums of, of history and, and tell tell me a little bit about your first memory of technology or your earliest memory of, of using tech. I guess that question usually goes on to, um, you know, your first experience maybe with a computer. And I couldn't decide if it was, I in primary school had to give a presentation. We'd gave one every semester just to practice our presentation skills. And I'd actually forgotten that I had it. So my dad wrote it all up. It was about Queen Elizabeth I. And for some reason he had to save it on a floppy disk. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, so I think that was one of them, or I can't decide if it was, my dad had put a computer in my bedroom from a very, very early age. So my dad had worked in IT. And so, yeah, we had a computer, both my brother and I in our bedrooms from a super early age. I'm going to go with like seven, eight years old, um, with a CD-ROM of the encyclopedia Wow! and not to forget the Mavis Beacon how to touch type software. <laughs> <laughs> we are kindred spirits. I was a Mavis Beacon student myself. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I remember my, telling my dad, dad, I don't need to practice on Mavis Beacon. By the time I get into the workforce, everything will be um, vo- dictated by voice. And he said, yeah, 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 just, just start <laughs> typing. And uh, I actually thanked him <laughs> a couple of years ago because I'm actually a pretty good typer compared to some of my colleagues. Um, so Mavis Speaking really works, I think, for, for a lot of <laughs> our generation. Well, I think it does if you, if you practice. Yeah. Um, I think I got too bored with it too quickly. I preferred the encyclopedia. But um, yeah, my dad was always of the opinion that uh, you give technology to your kids early and in the hope that they won't abuse it later. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> Which it. totally worked. Yeah. It's a good philosophy. It's a good philosophy, you know, to get them acclimated to it. It, it will be uh, part of the future. And so you're sitting in Munich now. Where mm-hmm. are you from, Munich, originally? It's a little complicated. So my parents are British. Um, to make it a little bit more complicated, my mom is Scottish. My dad is half English, half Irish. Um, <laughs> and I was born and raised in Munich. And so I have a British, Irish, and a German passport. <laughs> And a very mixed accent. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it tends to be quite posh English. Um, I, I guess it came from my school. It didn't really, definitely didn't come from my mom. She's from Glasgow. Did you do all your studies in, in Germany? So I went to school. So the European school is kind of from kindergarten to the end of high school, which I did in Munich. Um, and that was kind of half in German, half in English. And then I went to the UK because I kind of felt like I had to go live in the country that I was from and uh, I did my bachelor's there in art and design and then I I did my master's in Australia oh wow um and not just in Australia it was it's called SEM so it's a business degree that kind of um is a collaboration with at the time it was 28 universities I think it's a lot more universities now and you get to do exchange semesters went to Helsinki for one and Lisbon to for another one. Oh wow very cool 
Yeah. Very cool. Um, that's no, that's very uh, international uh, early on. Um, and when you were when doing this program, you, it was a business program, like an MBA, master's. Well, it's not quite an MBA, pre-work experience MBA. So it kind of covers the same topics, but you're not necessarily using your real life experience like mm-hmm. you would in an MBA. Mm-hmm. So how did you uh, kind of pivot from from this, let's say, more business oriented education into the tech world? Well, I guess I kind of took the combination of my art and design degree and my business degree, which is also not your regular uh, combination of degrees. And I kind of figured marketing was the obvious one because it's business and it's creative. So I kind of ended up in marketing. And as I was in marketing, I had a user experience design for the first time. And um, this was when I was working for Accenture in London um, in marketing. And I kind of from there, you know, lights went off. And I was like, yes, this is actually exactly what I want to be doing. This is perfect. So I kind of from there have kind of steered my career down that direction um, and ended up in product um, because of that. Yeah. And then was that was that before you arrived at NetCentric? How did you come across NetCentric the first time? Yes, yeah, so I was in Australia at the time. I was working for a startup um, and I had been there for a couple of months, maybe 10 months, and I just figured Australia was really far away. <laughs> So yeah, I guess I was then just looking for sort of jobs in the direction of tech, um, UX jobs, um, and then I came across Netcentric, and yeah, the interviews went really well, and they offered me the job, so it's like cool. What was that? What was that first role? Yeah, so officially, I was employed as a business consultant. When I first got to Netcentric, the project I was put on for a client. I was actually put in as a requirements engineer. So um, without NetCentric necessarily knowing, they actually put me in the right direction of where I wanted to be going. That's great. Again, a different title to reality of what I was actually doing. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> great though. Sometimes serendipitously, it it kind of uh, changes your path and you're able to have be exposed to, to different um, projects and, and ways of working in, in teams that all of a sudden say, hey, wait, actually this, this clicks and, and this makes sense with a lot of my experiences and where I want to head. Um, that's cool. And so w- when was this? W- when did you first join NetCenter? That was March 2018. Okay. Okay. So you there? You were there for then a couple years, right? Um, and you're one of the handful of, of NetCentric employees that have actually left and, and come back to the firm, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so what sort of opportunities did you explore outside of uh, NetCentric? So I guess um, having worked as a requirements engineer on um, a big project, I... I kind of saw that I wanted to go down the route of project product management and uh, the way the NetCentric projects are set up um, the product owner or product manager is usually on the client side. Um, So a lot of the decision making is on the client side. And so I wanted to be able to be part of that decision making. So that's why I was looking for new opportunities outside of NetCentric. And I, um, I got a job as a product manager at a startup builder, um, which was hmm. super exciting. Um, and I learned so much. But was yeah, that, I kind was of... Was that startup builder in Munich or was it a remote? 
Aberdeen. Yeah, it was in Munich. It okay. was in Munich. So that was, yeah, that was, uh, I started in January, is it 2020? So literally right before. The, <laughs> yes, right before the pandemic. <laughs> and I, I guess what I felt was I wasn't, I was leaving NetCentric on very good terms and I, I, I left with a heavy heart, but I, I also knew that for just kind of career um, opportunities, I needed to see what else was out there. Um, but I also think I always knew I was going to come back one day. Yeah. And, and I think that pandemic for, for a lot of us was a moment of um, reflection and, and kind of yeah, in, internal introspection, like, you know, what, what's important? What do I want in, in life, in my career? And, um, and just kind of having the time to take a step back and analyze that, you know, and, and that, that changed the course for a lot, a lot of people. Um, you know, there's, there's talks and, and names now called the great resignation, you know, and, and yes. the, the waves <laughs> of, of people changing their, changing their jobs and their lives and, and what priorities they have now. So maybe that's, that's kind of what led you back to a role at NetCentric. So coming back, what changed? What kind of role did you take on your second um, entrance into the company? I guess with the pandemic and everything, I kind of felt like I really, I, I really needed, I missed the people in Eccentric. I really missed the culture. I missed the way of work. Um, there's a different level of efficiency um, that I felt like you see at Netcentric that you don't necessarily see in other places, um, particularly a startup. I know it's very different, <laughs> you know, Netcentric and, and the startup I was working at very different phases of their their business life but I kind of missed all that and then you know being in home office and all I kind of felt like oh just I need to work with people again who know me where it's easy um you know who know how I work and I just kind of missed that you know it's hard to work in a in a in a job where you've never really met anyone in person mm-hmm. um when you haven't flipped that mindset, I think it's one thing to work remotely when you know that that is, you know, you've signed a remote contract and that's what you're going to be doing. I think it's hard when you haven't prepared yourself for that and you're still waiting for things to go back to the office and, oh no, again, we're not, oh no, we're still not. So um, that was that was one of the things that, um, one of the big reasons why I came back was um, the people, but also the second things, uh, thing is that, at the time, uh, my colleague Fabian was putting together the web performance community and um, had kind of got the go ahead to build a real user monitoring uh, tool. So for web performance, it's to, to monitor people's behavior on websites without uh, using cookies, essentially just to basically sum it up in a nutshell. But um, And he was looking for someone with product management knowledge. So I kind of guess the stars aligned and um, he was like, hey, we have this opportunity right now. I was looking to come back as well. So I was asking what opportunities there were at NetCentric. Um, and yeah, it kind of all fit with the timing. So that's how I came back. Yeah, and when was that? That was May last year. So okay. coming up to almost a year now. Nice, nice. And was was the role, is the role, um strictly focused on this product management of this new uh, tool you're building? Or are you kind of splitting your time with some client work as well? So I'm not really splitting my time with client work, but I would say it's not necessarily traditional, just um, product management. Um, There's an awful lot of other things that need to be done. So how we kind of see it is maybe that we're a tiny little startup ourselves within NetCentric. Um, So there's a lot of planning that needs to go into it. Um, I put together the business plan. 
I'm doing project management as well. So creating, you know, a whole Jira space and making sure that we can stay profitable and track our time to make sure that we are still profitable. I mean, that's still a work in progress, but um, yeah, so it's, it's there's a lot more to it than just product management. I also, um, I did all the designs for our tool as well, kind of putting in, using my design skills um, and my love for UX. But yeah, so it's kind of a, I kind of got my, my fingers in many pies. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, it, it sounds like you you have you have that kind of best of both worlds, where you have that um, freedom and and um, kind of exploring uncharted territory like a startup would, but within the framework and the and the resources that you have in that centric, which are, which are comfortable and and the people you know, and and of course the resources of a larger company that it's very efficient uh, versus an early early stage startup. Uh, yes. So the the medium and long term uh, outlook for this this tool is this um an internal tool will this just be used by netcentric teams or will this be something that's that is on, on the market no so it's this is where it's a little bit of new territory for for netcentric i think very often um netcentric is very project-based so um you kind of send out you know your your people and um you get paid for their services essentially um or we have we have a bunch of internal projects where you know you work on things like we have our um, do a dashboard for our, our employees to track certain things that they build and they're quite creative with that as well this is kind of an in-between so um, it's a little uncharted territory because it's not a tool that we will sell by itself like a licensing kind of concept it's really we're selling web performance services um but we need this tool to help us to provide us with better data. And mm. it's already you know, proved to be really useful. We have one big client who's um, currently using it and working with us to improve it. Um, and already it's, it's um, shown to be really useful. So it's, it's kind of this in between of like we, because we're building a product, um, we kind of need that upfront investment and then we can make money by using it. Right. Um, so that's what makes it a little bit different. So people might perceive it to be internal because we're not making immediate money on it, mm -hmm. but it's actually going to be used externally. Yeah, and you also get the the immediate um, feedback and and uh, I guess data from from your current you know Netflix current customers using this tool the, at least the prototype or, or beta version of it so you're getting all those learnings internally already before you have to launch which is always good you know to be able to to test it and throw things against the wall and before it's out public <laughs> yes yeah exactly exactly nice nice so stepping uh, away from from work a bit um i also understand that you're you're very passionate about um, sustainability and, and the environment. So what are some of the things that um, you're working on maybe more in your personal life that might have to do with around sustainability? Yeah, well, um, I guess there's a bunch of things. So I, I guess there's a little bit of internal discussions I have with myself. Um, you know, I try to reduce my waste. Um, but then, you know, there's how far do you go to change your entire lifestyle around reducing your waste? Because I mean, reducing plastic is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, reducing, yes, you can do, but actually going fully plastic free. We tried a month of that at home and it's it's next to impossible because even just buying like basic products, it's 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 hard to find without 
plastic um so then there's a question of like how far are you willing to go when you know not not that many other people are willing to go that far and why should i have to be the one doing it when mm -hmm. not everyone is doing it so i do what i can i try and reduce my waste i mean um some things we we went out um in november and collected a whole bunch of conkers and made washing liquid for the washing machine um from it so um wow. Just to give a bit of a background, uh, conkers have saponins in them, so they, they, they're a bit like a soap nut. Um, so you can actually wash your clothes with conkers. So we collected a huge amount. I made a lot of friends, little children collecting conkers in the park. Um, so that's one thing that um, I try. Another thing is that I also make my own cosmetics because the cosmetic market is just a monster um, when it comes to environmental issues, I think a lot of people don't think about it. Um, they think more about, you know, electricity or waste and plastic and stuff. But I mean, the cosmetic market, you have all the waste from the packaging. So very often you have the packaging that's inside packaging. And on the second level is um, very often the things that you're putting on your face, creams or shampoos that you're using actually have substances that are not biodegradable. So they're going into the water system and being washed into the ocean that are actually quite bad for marine life. But a lot of people don't know this. So mm. there's products out there that are like, yeah, um, we're plastic free or package free, but then they have ingredients in them that are actually killing marine life. Yeah. So it's a much bigger topic than just being package free. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm super, super interested in. So I kind of make my own um, creams, particularly at the moment, shampoos and conditioners, bars. Um, that's kind that's of cool. No, that's cool. And so, I mean, taking that leap, that, that's definitely next level as far as um, caring about your own personal carbon footprint and, and your own, um, just the way we live our lives, right? I mean, there's definitely ways to, to be more sustainable in day-to-day -day life and recycle and, and be prudent on what kind of <clears throat> brands you're supporting and products you're buying to reduce your personal impact. Um, but then there's then there's also looking around at the outside world and looking at the, the large multinationals and corporations that are, you know, if it's the airline industry sending, you know, empty planes around the world just to keep, you know, contracts active and, and all these other things that are like, well, okay, it doesn't matter what I do if they're doing that, right? And so um, so it is kind of this balance that you have to find. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's, um, I mean, like one day, maybe as a side hustle, I'd like to start up my own little cosmetic business. Who knows? Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, it's such a saturated market already. But mm -hmm. the point is, is being able to provide alternatives to people that are affordable. So I was in the supermarket with my mom the other day and I wanted just a bar of soap. Um, I didn't have time to make it this time. <laughs> but um I just wanted a plain bar of soap and my mom was like well why don't you just pick up the the really cheap one and I was like I don't want to support like anything biased you know all these big FMCGs yes okay they're trying a little bit with changing some of their products but they're really not addressing the big issue in changing mm -hmm. all of their products and so I think the idea is putting alternatives on the market that people can afford because also one thing that I find really tough with trying to be more sustainable in your life is it's it's a rich person's luxury. Mm -hmm. It's too expensive. And what you need is products on the market that even people from low income housing can afford 
to be more sustainable. And that at the moment is just not available. So right. it's really just, in a way, the people who can afford to be sustainable are thinking about it, and yet it's not become a commodity for everyone to right. be more sustainable. Right. And I think that's the issue. And that, I think, you know, big FMCGs or any of these big businesses, they are the ones who are responsible for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is there is this kind of... Um glass ceiling or, or, or invisible hand here that, that uh, is preventing, um, let's say, the, the overall population having access to these products. Um, yeah. So you started making your own. Now, yes. what was the first product you made? What was like, okay, I'm going to make X. I'm going to make shampoo. What was the first one? That you're like, I'm going to try my hand at this. It started off with um, my boyfriend's sister is a beekeeper. Um, and she actually has also fairly recently started selling her own honey. And so with that comes beeswax and she kind of made some lip balm for me. And at some point I had lost this lip balm and I couldn't find it anywhere. My lips were so dry and cracked and I was like, okay, what, what else can I use right now in my household that will maybe help? Um, again, I didn't have all these creams and everything because, mm -hmm. you know, trying to reduce all that and right. unnecessary stuff. So I... <laughs> Um, realized that coconut oil is in a lot of products as well and in a lot of organic products so I just put coconut oil on my lips and then I started reading up about it um, it was perfect for like a short time but I started reading up about it um, and then you know just how the ingredients react with your skin and then one thing led to the next and I bought some beeswax and um, my first product was just a basic lip balm and then from there, it was like, oh, it's really not that hard to just make them. So then I moved on to making face creams or like a body butter bar, which is just a bunch of different butters and, and waxes melted. And then I guess from there, I was like, I was starting to use shampoo bars, but it, it's really hard to find a really good one. And conditioner is next level, almost impossible to find a really good one. So I kind of decided to do that. And I actually made a bunch of conditioner bars fairly recently and um, gave it to my friends and they were all giving me really good feedback for the conditioner bar. So That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, now, do you need any special equipment for this? Or are you just doing this in your kitchen? How are you making these concoctions? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only equipment that you need is some bowls and some mixing utensils. Mm -hmm. So from spoons or spatulas to, um, I would say, scales that go down to point zero zero zero. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, what I find really interesting as well, and as you learn as you go along, is that um, cosmetic, they're called formulations, so they're not recipes, Um they're done in percentages. Mm -hmm. So everything is done in weight. So it's not like uh, a recipe when you cook where you're like, okay, put 350 grams of flour, now 200 milliliters of milk, now one egg, a pinch of salt, where you have all these different types of measurements. Right. Um, so that was also something that you learn. And so weight is very important. So having mm -hmm. a, a scale, set of scales that go to 0, 0.00. Yeah. Um, is important but other than that it's super easy to make in your kitchen and depending what you're doing if you're using anything making any product that has water it needs preservatives um so i think it gets a bit more complicated but anything mm. from lip balms um shampoo bars conditioner bars um body butter bars anything that's just kind of waxes that are melted together and there are no 
no water ingredients in there, then super easy. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Now, have you put some of your um, marketing, design, art, product management skills to work creating a brand for any of these products? Yeah, I have actually. Um, <laughs> it took me a long time to come up with a name, but it's called Don't Be Mean. Don't be mean. Which works for me on several levels. So don't be mean to the planet. Um, don't be mean to your body in terms of what you're putting on your skin, because there are also many ingredients in cosmetics that are not actually good for your skin, but are in there for the smell or right. for the consistency that really don't need to be there. Um, and then don't be mean to, I guess, your self-esteem. So again, I find the cosmetic industry can have quite a difficult effect on, I would say, particularly young girls and their self-esteem. And, you know, you see all these adverts of what a model should be and what a woman should look like. Um, so my idea for sort of marketing and branding would be to have a whole bunch of diverse, different types of people from every skin tone to every kind of weight to every sexual orientation to just, you know, for every human. Right. Um, and not necessarily targeted at one type of human, but I know that's very difficult. And I know coming from a UX background, it's, you know, choose your target audience. Um, my target audience are the people who care about mm -hmm. the planet than mm -hmm. their own body and their self-esteem, I would say, which I guess needs to be narrowed down at some point. <laughs> but yeah, the idea is that it's for, for every human. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. I, I think, it, it, like you said, it works on multiple levels. And, um, and it's, it's something that, that with because you're passionate about it, it's, it's something that you get to tinker with and, and, and play with and experiment with. And um, it has a lot of uh, variables involved. And, and yeah, let's, let's, that'd be really cool to see where that, where that grows to. Um, coming back to to NetCentric and, and obviously bringing in kind of this balance of, of things that you're passionate about outside of work and, and being able to implement them and work on them inside of, of work as well. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out with NetCentric? Maybe somebody who's a new hire or somebody who just joined. Any any tips or words of wisdom to the, the new class? Oh, I mean, I, I would say one thing um... – it's maybe a little out of our control, but I'm I'm hoping and thinking things are starting to open up a little bit. I mm -hmm. think one thing that's super important is be in the office a few times just to kind of get to know people on a personal level. Um, yeah. I would say that's my biggest piece of advice for anyone who's even starting any new job, not necessarily just at NetCentric, but at NetCentric for sure, because the people are awesome. But um I think when you get to meet some people in person, it just, it, it shows them in a different light. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important um, to make sure that you just go and it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter who you meet in the office, as long as you're having that, I guess, water cooler talk or just right. randomly talking about random things with, with people who you meet in the office that you might not have anything to do with. Oh, and the second one, I don't know. I mean, it depends if you're like a super young person coming in um, and this is maybe your first job. I would say it doesn't really matter where you start. Start somewhere and you can always work your way up. 
Right. That's good. That's really good advice. No, I, I think that's that's great. Um, be humble and and meet people, right? And, and yes, and have as many experiences um, and physical interactions as you can. Do you try to go to the office on certain days of the week, or is it kind of ad hoc every week? So at the moment, I'm not going to the office at all because I have been advised against it because I'm actually pregnant. Oh, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up, I would be remiss if I didn't ask uh, one final question. This is the final question we ask all of our guests on the NetCentric podcast, and that is this. Looking ahead the next 10 or, let's say, 20 years, which technology or innovation are you most excited about? to see? I feel like I have a very boring answer for this. Um, I'm not really excited about any innovation. I'm more excited about what companies, but what companies can, big companies can do to change to become more environmentally friendly. Look at how they can solve it. So yeah, I guess it's innovation, but it's nothing, you know, it's not AR or self-driving cars or, you know, I don't know, all these things that artificial intelligence i guess it's exciting but i don't think it's going to be that exciting if the world's falling apart (laughs) i'm so i guess i'm excited about sustainable energy you know electric cars are all very exciting but a lot of the things in the electric cars are not sustainably sourced uh most of the time when you're filling up your car from the grid the the energy from the grid is not clean so you're not really being that sustainable. It's it's a step in the right direction, but I'm I'm much more excited to see how we can actually turn something like that into something very sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a that's a great one, and it, it fits in line with the rest of our conversation too. Um, yeah. Yes, I think the there will be some definite winners coming out of this space uh, in the next ten to twenty years. Just simply because the the next generation coming up, it's not even a passion or a request it's a demand you know they they, they won't settle for anything less or not going to have any of it so uh i mean <laughs> my son will definitely yeah. be pushing for that if i have anything to say yeah. about it <laughs> no they, they will and so um it's it's on us it's a, it's our responsibility to, to create that world and leave them with something that they can they can continue to grow uh, otherwise there won't be much for them to to live with so um with that i think that's a great Great place to, to sign off. I want to thank you, Claire, for your time today. It's been great. Great catching up with you and great chatting with you. And, and of course, best of luck uh, this summer on your new edition. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. No, anytime. And maybe we can, we can uh, catch up again later on post baby number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and learn all about that adventure. Yes. All right. Well, thanks so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. 